The, uh, the story goes that there was a member of an Inca Indian tribe who was captured by the Spanish, and the captain told his interpreter to say to the In Inca Indian, tell him if he doesn't tell us where the gold is that will burn both of his feet in the fire. So the interpreter told him and relayed the message, and the Inca Indian said, I'd rather die than tell you where the gold is, and with that they burned both his feet. So the captain then told the interpreter, he said, tell him if he doesn't tell us where the gold is hidden that will hang him from that noose that's hanging over there by that tree. And the interpreter again relayed the captain's message, and the Inca Indian again once again said, tell him I'd rather die than tell him where all of our gold is hidden. And with that, they took him over the tree, and they hung him till he could barely breathe. They cut him down, and they moved him back over again in front of the captain, and the captain told him one last time, he said, you tell him if he doesn't tell us where all the gold is that we're going to skin him alive. And by that time, the Inca Indian had just about had enough of it. So he told the interpreter, he said, tell him that the gold is in, the, in, a, in a cave that's behind a waterfall, and the waterfall is one mile down this path, and then you go to the left, and you'll be able to find it. And with that, the interpreter told the captain, he said he would rather die than tell you where the gold is. <laughs> well, I know, I know. It's an old story, but then again, so are some of you. So... But the reason that I chose it was specifically because the old story uh, tells and portrays a very old problem. And the old problem is that many of us, as men and women, would choose to use one another for our own benefit. Now, if you've ever been the victim of such a thing, we call that getting stabbed in the back. Yeah, how many of you have ever been stabbed in the back and have lived to talk about it? See, but if you are the one who dishes those types of things out, then you probably call it things like eh, creative business, um, intelligence. Uh, you know, you, you assess it a little differently. And the interesting thing is that in the world in which we live, you know, things like cutthroat, dog-eat-dog, survival of the fittest, uh, the law of the jungle, and if you want to get like biblical about it, we change it and we put it into terms like do it unto others before they do it unto you. And uh, that's kind of the way that it works. And so the old story has a, has a, a funny twist to it, but in reality, it, it gives us a message and one that we're speaking about, and that is that many of us use one another for our own purposes and for our own benefit. There are many of those there are many philosophies and philosophers in the world today, and I like a definition I read recently about a philosopher. You want to know what a philosopher is? A philosopher. Philosophers are people who talk about something they don't understand and make you think that it's all your fault, <laughs> which is pretty much true. And philosophies and people who talk about something they don't understand. So, you know, if, if you get right down to it, here are some of the philosophies that are floating around. They've been floating around for a long time. And I want you to see if you can identify with some of these philosophies. Consider a few of them. Here's one. Greece said, be wise and know yourself. Rome said to be strong and discipline yourself. Religion says to be good and conform yourself. Epicureanism says, be sensuous and enjoy yourself. Education says, be resourceful and expand yourself. Psychology says, be confident, assert yourself. Pride says, be superior, promote yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. Legalism says, be pious, limit yourself. Philanthropy says, be generous, release yourself. And materialism says, be satisfied, please yourself. You know, I don't know about you, but I've just about had it with all the talk about yourself. Everywhere I turn, it has to do with, you know, finding out about yourself. Know more about yourself. Yourself. 
yourself, yourself. Just want to make it gag after a while. Everything boils around yourself. It's kind of like do something either for yourself or with yourself or to yourself. Uh, and, and the selfishness isn't getting us anywhere as individuals, and it certainly isn't doing much for our society as we look around us in resolving the ailments that are plaguing all of us. So the problem that I have is all this self, self, self philosophy is where do we go to get some real help? Because you're not going to find it in the world in which we live, which is permeated with self. Now, the interesting thing, and the thing I really enjoy about reading this book, the Bible here, is that the Bible has a completely different concept, and it's radical in its thought, about ourselves. And I, and I had these written down, and I thought, you know what's interesting? It'd be fun to go through and just kind of pick out some of these things. You know, and here it says, be, Greece said, be wise, know yourself. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 1.26, For God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame that which is wise. Interesting. It says, be strong, discipline yourself. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Solomon told us that the battle is not always to the strongest, nor to the swift. That strength and discipline isn't really the answer to what we're looking for. So then it goes on, Epicureanism, be sensuous, enjoy yourself. Um, you go through this whole list and it's amazing to me. Uh, be good. There are none righteous, no, not one. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. We all think that we're good. And the, and the society in which we live, it says, you just need to be better. Be good. Be good? The Bible says you can't be good enough. It says that, you know what? We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark. There's none of us that are righteous. No, not one. There's not one of us in here who are good. No, not one of us. And so this philosophy directly contradicts what the Bible teaches. It says, be sensuous. And this is in 1 Thessalonians 4, and this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you're set apart so that you abstain from sexual immorality. Enjoy your sensuality. God says, hey, wait a minute. You're sanctified. You're set apart. You're different than the world in which we live. And I want you to abstain from sexual immorality. Ex abstain from sexual um, um, sensuality and pleasure. And you go through this whole list and it always, uh, be superior. Pride says be superior. God's opposed to the proud, but he gives greater grace to the humble. Be confident, let him who boasts, boast in Christ. The last thing is the one that we'll key on because it has to do with what we're talking about, but that is that materialism says be satisfied and please yourself. And Solomon went through a long ordeal to help us realize that materialism is never going to satisfy us. And if you want to be satisfied, you know what he said? For who can find enjoyment in life without God? You want to have satisfaction? He says don't please yourself please God. And that's what this whole series is about. We're here to talk about pleasing God. How do we please God? Some of us have some ideas about how to please God that are contradictory to what the Word of God teaches. So what our, our aim is throughout the series is to take a look at some of those notions that you have and either blow holes through them and shoot them apart so that you never hold on to them anymore or reaffirm those things that are biblical and line up. And so we're looking at why please God and we're going to take a look at six reasons for pleasing God. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm making a commitment before all of you, that I covered two points last week, and when I said I'm going to cover the next four, the doubters came out of the closet as usual. They said, there's no way you only covered two last week, there's no way you can cover four. Why cover four? There's a pizza riding on it, and everybody needs some incentive. It's that Italian heritage, what can I say? We'll do anything for a pizza. 
So we're going to cover six reasons for pleasing God. The first two, for those of you who are visiting this week, you're lucky you're going to get to see a portion of those, but we're not going to spend much time. But the first purpose in pleasing God is seen in the purpose of creation. Why please God? Because that's why He made us. Hey, there we go. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Anybody in here can walk out with that, that one, grasp it, go home with it, and say, I learned something today. If you don't know why you're here, the whole reason you're here is to please God. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy art thou, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And the, and the King James says, And it's for thy pleasure they are and they were created. You and I are here for one very simple reason, and that's to please God. Every thought that you have, every word that you speak, every deed that you do, has to somehow work toward this end. Are you pleasing God in your thoughts, words, and deeds? That's the only reason that you're here. That's the only reason that He made us. Everything God created, He made for His own pleasure. That's it. Very simple. And the Bible is filled with the re reinforcement or the encouragement for us to understand that. The second thing has to do with the position of our Creator. We saw last time that we were together how beneficial it is for us to realize uh, how and why we should please our earthly authority, whether they be bosses, whether if you're a kid it's a parent, um, whether it's uh, anybody in society, the governing bodies in which govern any society, and the benefits of pleasing those who are in authority. Why please God? Because of His position in authority, and it had to do with two things. It's recognizing His authority, and it says in Psalm 115.3, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. God is above us. He will always be above us. We will never be on the same plane with God. He will always be our authority over us. And therefore, that position alone dictates that we live to please Him. We are here to serve Him, to please Him. And I know that rubs a lot of us the wrong way. But that's what the Bible clearly says. Job 42.2, he said, you know what? He said, Lord, I know you can do all things that no purpose of yours can ever be thwarted. Anything you want to do, whenever you want to do it, yeah, you can do it. You're not limited to man. You're not uh, limited by our actions, our inactivity. You're not limited by anything that we do. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. That's the simple truth of what the Scripture teaches. And so we go through this and we see that it has to do with the position of our Creator. And it also has to do with recognizing His ability. It's Psalm 147.5. He says, Great is our Lord, abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. God can do anything. You know what? That's a real comfort for me. We have some friends who are struggling with a baby that was born premature, and you know who they are, Jackie and Annie Slater, they come to our class. And uh, we went up to the hospital. Um, oh, I, you know what? I'm sorry. I think last week I, I, I didn't mention it, but they had a baby, a little baby boy, three pounds, two ounces at the time that he was born. His name is David Alexander Slater. You might want to put him on your prayer, prayer list. But we went up to the hospital. One of the things, you know, some of the stuff you think, oh man, this is just, you know, this is all stuff that you write down in a notebook and it doesn't, how, how do you apply it to your life? Or what comfort do you have? Or where does it come to use? You know what I mean? And we go home and we write this stuff down. What was that third point? Oh, and I went, oh, can I see that again? And we write it down and we put it in a notebook and then we leave here and we never look at it. We never remember it. It has nothing to do with how we live our life. It doesn't apply to anything. And then we bring it back out the next time and go, oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember what those two points were. I remember what those six points were. And we pick up with a notebook and we continue on. We got so much head knowledge that we, we need to have it written in our hearts. We need to be able to walk out of here and say, you know what's great about the Word of God? It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart of man. It's able to, to help me in what I'm going through. So we're at the hospital, and you know how doctors are. What they go by is percentages, pre precedent, statistics. 
And so they go through and they say, you know, if you can just carry him for two more weeks, two more weeks, he'll have an 80% chance of survival. And if he's just three pounds and something when he's born because boys needed further development because of the lungs, and if he's just this, then he's got this much chance of survival. And we go through all that, you know, and God bless them because somehow they're trying to come up with some kind of comfort for the people that they're dealing with. And a lot of them don't know how to comfort people because they haven't got a handle on what it's all about anyway. So what they do is they come up with all these statistics. And so as we're sitting there, and I can tell that Jackie was a little bit shaken by it. Here's a guy who's, you know, 6'5", six, 6', six, whatever, 285 pounds. That's what they list him in the, in the program, but he's about 300. But... Um, <laughs> But, you know, and, and here, you know, and, and I say that because here, here he is, he's standing there going, three pounds, three pounds, three pounds in his hands. You can't even see three pounds in his hands. And, you know, I thought this was a comfort to me because what I told him was, you know what's great? We got a God who doesn't look at the outward appearance as man does, but he looks at the inner person. He looks at the heart. We got a God who's not limited to percentages. We got a God who's not limited to when a woman has childbirth. And, and in fact, not only is he not limited by any of these things, he's appointed it. He knew the day that David Alexander Slater was going to be born. He knows exactly what he's doing. And, and there's no question and there's no struggle with any of it. And forget about the statistics. Forget about the odds. Put our faith and trust back in God because he can do anything that he wants whenever he wants to do it. Man, and if that's not comfort, you know, bet, hey, business climate, things are getting tough out there. We know it. It's happening all over the place. And you know what? And we're looking for something to, to, to hang our hat on, something for reassurance, something that will make us feel confident about the future. And I say, let's stop putting all our confidence in things that man comes up with, statistics, precedent cycles, economic cycles, uh, what happened in 80 and 81, what's going to happen now, is there going to be wars? Gonna be... It doesn't matter if you know that you can put your faith and trust in God. He can do anything he wants whenever he wants to do it. God's people have always been protected by those who put their faith and trust in Him and seek Him and put Him first. Got a little carried away. Anyway, and, that, and that's just a review. Now I've got to get into the stuff for this week. Number three, number three. As if somehow or another we need another reason to please God, let me just throw this one out to you. How about the person of Jesus Christ? How about the person of Jesus Christ? As if you need another reason. The purpose of creation is that every one of us are created to be here to please God. The position of God is that He's higher than us. He does anything He wants to do. He's an authority over our lives. We can turn to Him anytime that we want. There's comfort, there's hope, there's reassurance in that. And if you need any more reasons, which I hope you do, because i got four more for you, and uh, that's what we're going to do. But how about the person of Jesus Christ? You know what the most fascinating thing is as you look at Scripture? Look at John chapter 8, verse 29. John 8, 29. You know what the Bible says? It says, And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. How often did Jesus do the will of the Father? How often did Jesus Christ do that which was pleasing to the Father? Always. Oh, here we go. We're getting fanatical again, aren't we now? We're getting fanatical. I know always seems like a, long, a lot of times to me. How about you? Always seem like a lot? Hey, always does. Always is always, and that's all always will ever be. It's all the time. And so if we need another reason to please God, how about the person of Jesus Christ? The example that Jesus left us was that, you know what? Everything he did, he did to please the Father. Always. All the time. You know, it's amazing. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's kind of a thing where 
I need to get personal. I need to ask you some questions, and you can answer them, or maybe you don't want to answer them. But you know what I read through that? That Christians who desire to be Christ-like in all that they do should seek to please God in every area of their life. That, that's how I read it. Always means always. Always means in everything. Can I get personal to you right now? Just You don't have to answer it out loud. But can I ask you a question? As you sit here today, as you listen to this, as you're convicted by it, are you pleasing to God in every area of your life? Every area of your life? Are you always pleasing to God in all that you do, all that you say, all that you think? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's a habit. I'll challenge you to do this. If you dare to know what area of your life is not pleasing to God, then you just ask Him to show it to you. Amazing thing is if you've come to know Christ and the Holy Spirit of God lives within you and convicts you of the sin that's in your life on a constant basis, I don't even have to ask that question because as soon as I brought it up, He's convicting you of it right now. You know right now what area of your life is not pleasing to God. You know it. But for those of you who are a little more dense than some others, the sensitivity level is worn off and we're getting a little more callous. If you dare to ask Him, He'll show it to you. Because He wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be set apart. He wants you to live a life that's pleasing to Him. And the only way you can do it is you're going to have to confess it and you're going to have to stop doing it. It's the only way it works. And, and why can I say it? Because we look at the example of the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus left the example for us and He said, You know what, Chuck? Every area of your life I want pleasing to me. Every area. I don't want any secret little cupboards, little storage areas, places where you can hide some of your filth and your dirt. I don't want any of it. I want you to confess it all. I want you to turn it all over and I want you to walk with me. I want you to be set apart. I'll challenge you to do it. I, you know what's the one, most wonderful thing about it? It'll free you up. It'll take a weight off your shoulders that you've been trying to deal with and you've been trying to walk with and balance it and, and try to figure out how you can do both things and you can't do it. And what he's saying is, hey, you know what? Let me know what it is and I'll remove it. Cast all your burdens upon me and I'll care for you. Are you willing to do it? I don't know why anybody wouldn't be. Look at Romans 15, 1 through 3. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and do not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. Even Christ did not please himself. You know what's amazing? We're asking the question of why. Why please God? When you go through something like this, I don't know if it helps you, but it certainly helps me. I start to read through it and I kind of go, now we are strong, ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and do not please ourselves." <laughs> why? That's the way I read it. Kind of go, why? Hey, if I'm strong, I know I have any weaknesses, and uh, why should I? Well, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Why? So it builds him up. So it encourages them. So it's a benefit to them. That's why we should do it. Why should I bear your weaknesses? Because it'll build you up. It'll strengthen you in your walk with the Lord. That's why I should do it. Okay, well, let's go on. Then he says, let each of us please his neighbor for his own good, his own edification. Why? For even Christ did not please himself. Do you follow that? Why? You want to know why? Jesus Christ gave us the best example. That's why. Because he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give. His life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. That's what the Bible says. And his life was centered in other people and not in himself. 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. See, Jesus, the person of Jesus, gives us the best example of why we should live to please God. Why should we do it? Because the life of our Lord was centered in other people, and I praise God and thank Him for it. I thank God we don't have a selfish, stingy, self-centered God who's just dedicated to knowing Himself and pleasing Himself in everything that He does. I thank God that He sent Jesus Christ. Why? So He would give us an example of how we should live to please others and to please God. We're not to be centered in ourself. I'll guarantee you this, that if your life is, is revolving around yourself, you're going to become one of the most cynical and bitter people this world will ever see. There's no joy in it. Self-denial for the benefit of others, people, is still one of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. It'll never change. It's fundamental. You know what's amazing is most of us love to receive it, but very few of us love to give it. Love to receive it, hate to give it. Why? Because there's a price that we pay. I had a friend call me one time. He was thinking about leaving his wife. And he was struggling with all kinds of problems because he had parents who were very self-centered, didn't give him any time when he was growing up. I mean, that was his reasoning, and that's why he was doing what he was doing. Had a little boy, had a wife, little boy, and he was going to leave his wife, he was going to leave his son. And he called me one day, and he said, Hey, do you mind, can we just get together? I need somebody to talk to. I said, Dad, that would be great. So we got together, and as we went through this whole process of talking it through, uh, one thing became very apparent, that he was a product of a home that was very self-centered. And that was the role model and the example that he had. And so he was really struggling with leaving. He knew that he should stay, but he also knew that, hey, when do I find some pleasure in this life? Huh? What about me? I've always give, give, give. That's all I ever do, and I want to receive, and, and this is what's going to do it. So he thought about leaving, and I said, you know, uh, how do you think it will affect your son? He said, well, I think he'll be fine. I said, you know, like you are right now? And he kind of went, yeah. You know, good point. So as we were driving home and I was dropping him off, I said, by the way, let me just tell you something. One of the best Laker basketball games in the playoffs was on tonight. And when you called me, the first thing I thought about was, there's no way, can't this wait till tomorrow? Why do you want to meet today? You've had this problem for a long time. What's the deal here? <laughs> huh? You've been there. You know how it goes. It's like, gee whiz, you know. And I said, I just want to let you know because I want to get it off my chest. Ah, I feel much better about it. Now, actually, it was kind of like, you know, because I want to show you something. I said, now, if I lived like you lived, or would profess to live, or like you want to live, I would have told you to hit the road. Was our time together valuable? Yes. Was it more important than any basketball game would ever be throughout eternity? Yes, it was. Well, then maybe a life of self-centeredness isn't what God wants to see of us. Maybe our lives need to be centered in other people. And it was a great illustration. But it was a great truth for me, too, because it made me put my priorities in perspective. What's really important in life? Me or other people? And granted, there's a balance, but some of us have never been on one end of the extreme to know that a balance exists. Some of us are so self-centered, we don't have time for other people, we wouldn't know when we were given too much anyway. And you know what the amazing thing is? I've just found that a person who is given toward others and ministering toward others, they don't even realize that they're doing it and they love it and they enjoy it and they got a joy and a peace and a satisfaction about it. And then you got some lame person that comes up to you and says, you know, you really should take it easy. You're really going to burn yourself out. Yeah, well, good. I hope that I do because I haven't noticed any of it so far and I don't really care if I ever do because I love this. This is what life is all about. It's not to be centered in ourselves but in other people. And the wonderful thing is it pleases God. What's a, why please God? Three reasons so far. Purpose of creation. 
the position of our Creator and the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest example that we'll ever have as far as a life that wasn't selfish but was centered in other people. Number four. We're rolling now. Number four. Here we go. Number four, five, and six. <laughs> just, I'm just practicing in case I get to that. Number four. Here we go. Why please God? Hey, you know what? One of the greatest reasons to please God is the prospect of judgment. Why should I please God? Because I'm accountable to Him. Because I'm going to answer to Him someday. And many of us understand this in the business world. Why please my boss? Reviews coming up. Why please my boss? Bonuses are coming up. Why do it? Because I got to answer to Him. That's a good reason. And somehow we come to believe that we don't have to answer to God. But we do. The prospect of judgment. This is what the Apostle Paul said about it. He said, we are of good courage. 2 Corinthians 5, 8-10. through 10, He said, we are of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Therefore also we have as our ambitions, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what has been done, whether good or bad. Again, you ask yourself the why question. You need to know why. Because when you understand why, you'll be motivated to take some action. The why question, very simple, is this. Therefore, also we have as our ambition, whether home or absent, be pleasing to God. Why? You know why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us who are in this room who put their faith and trust in Christ will appear before what's called the, the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ, so that we will give an account for everything that we've done while here on earth. Why? Again, why? So we can be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what is done, whether good or bad. You get excited about going in for a review with your boss so you can get a bonus or, or you can get something out of it. How much more excited should we be to stand before the Lord one day and say, Lord, I did everything to please you. Everything. My thought life was pleasing to you. My actions were pleasing to you. The things that I said when people were pleasing to you. The way I conducted my business was pleasing to you. The way I handled my taxes was pleasing to you. That my habits in my life that were not pleasing to you, I stopped doing those things. I did everything to please you. I can't wait to see how you're going to reward me. <gasps> Bad attitude. Doing it for the rewards. Hey, <laughs> I don't know. What motivates you? If it motivates you to be pleasing to God, then so let it be. Amen. Get excited about it. You know why it doesn't for most of us? Most people go, oh, doing it for rewards? No, I'd rather not do it at all. That's a bad attitude. <laughs> so what's the alternative? I can do whatever I want to do the way I see it. You idiot, moron, you <laughs> biblical, illiterate. Come on now, come on now. I never say those out loud. I always just think them to myself. It's like, come on, what you're asking for is you just want a carte blanche excuse to do what you want to do. Don't say it doesn't motivate you. It motivates you in every other area of your life, and I know people who work with you, and they say you kiss up to the boss all the time, so don't tell me you don't do stuff for things. <laughs> do stuff for things, I heard that. Do stuff for things. Pardon me? Oh, the tax deal? Yeah, well, we all got to have one to work on. You know what's amazing? A lot of us in our business careers are at a point where we don't think we're accountable to too many people. We really believe that. And it affects the way we conduct our businesses. 
Isn't that the truth? See, when you get to the point where most of the people work for you rather than you work for somebody, then you feel like you don't really have to answer to anybody. Boy, you know what will keep you, keep you honest? Is realizing that you got one boss who's the boss of boss, who's the king of kings, who's the lord of lords, and who you're always accountable to, and it will affect the way you conduct yourselves in every area of your life. That's what Solomon, he said, you know what, at the end of his selfish journey, he concluded with this comment, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, he said, you know what, when all is to be said and all is considered, fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. Why should I do it? For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or bad. I'll tell you what, the fact that I've got an answer to the Lord God of this universe someday is great motivation to change the way I live and to be pleasing to Him. And if it's not to you, you better take a good hard look at why it isn't, at why it's not. Number five, as if we need another reason, and I'll give you another reason, the fifth thing is the persecution of the Apostle Paul. One of the most amazing truths, if you've got your Bibles, look at Galatians 1.10 for a minute. One of the most amazing truths as far as the Word of God is concerned is why do we do the things that we do? What motivates us to do what we do? In Galatians 1.10, it's kind of a summary of what the problem was. But Paul, all through the book of Galatians, specifically discussed his ministry as it related to pleasing God. And he talked about not preaching a different gospel, about not uh, wanting the, he wanted the Galatians not to listen to something that wasn't the truth. And at the end of that particular treatise, he said in Galatians 1.10, he says this. He goes, let me ask you a question. That's what he's saying. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? He said, if that was true, if I was trying to please men, then I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And this was planned. This is homework assignment. And it's planned as of right now. Because if I took the time to go over some of these things, I would lose a pizza. And I don't want to do that. I want you to write this down. I want you to see the extent of his persecution. You read it yourself and to see if it's not true. You know what he's saying? You think I'd go through all of this to please men? You think that's my motivation? You think that's why I do what I do? You think I'd be shipwrecked, I'd be stoned, I'd be left for dead, that I'd be persecuted, I'd be robbed, that, I, that I'd be thrown into prison? You think I'd do all of that to please men? No. You're wrong. I went through it. God allowed me to go through it, and I did it because it was pleasing to Him. And the point of it all is very simply this, and we, let's just get this right out in the open right now. Let me just tell you something that I learned from the persecution of Paul. You know what it is? If you live a life that's pleasing to God, there's no guarantee that you're going to be pleasing to men. That's not a guarantee. In fact, Jesus said, hey, beware when all men speak well of you. Everybody likes you? then you're standing on real soggy ground because you don't have a stand one way or the other. You don't impact people one way or the other. You don't offend people one way or the other by the way that you live your life to please God. You're not offensive. Not that you have to be, but the message of the cross is offensive to people. And when you live to please God, you will offend people. So look forward to it. Enjoy it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, baby. Huh? Don't you love it when you are? 
No, you don't. Eh, well. Do I? No, I don't either. But is it the truth? Yeah, it is. Does it help me deal with it? A lot better than trying to figure out how to please everybody. Can't do it. And he said, I went through all of this, not because I was trying to please men, but because I was a bond servant to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I did everything to please Him. Lived my life to please Him. And as a result, I got persecuted along the way. That's part of the price that we pay to walk in the path that Christ walked. That's part of it. So as you go through all this, it's kind of like, you know, if you're motivated to do what you do to please men, when persecution comes up, you're not going to keep on doing what you're doing. See, if I was motivated to do this to please you, I would have quit a long time ago. And the only reason I keep doing it is to get even with y'all. <laughs> Just kidding. Some of you think I'm serious, though. Maybe I am. I don't know. God will show me what my motives are. But, uh, but the truth of it is, if you're doing what you're doing to please people, you'll never have enough strokes to keep on doing it. It won't happen. Never be enough people here. There'll never be enough this. There'll never be enough that. If that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, I won't keep doing it. I'll quit. The greatest comfort that I have is, you know what, every time I get down in ministering to other people, and every time you feel like, you know, what are you doing, what you're doing for, why am I in this position, every time I think about it, I think of this. And that is, you know what, that's part of the price you pay for pleasing God. And one day, He's going to recompense every awful thing that any person on this earth ever does to you. That'll keep you going. That will keep you going. The second thing is, you'll want to take a look at the exhortation for our performance, which he said, you know what? In everything that we do, let's do it to please God. And in this particular area, he was talking about business or working for another person. And he said, you know what? In your business, you do it wholeheartedly, knowing that it's the Lord Jesus Christ you serve and not man. You give it the best you get, and you be a light in the world that God has put you in. Stop using the performance or lack of the performance of other people as an excuse for your disobedience to God. You go out and you be committed to be the best at whatever it is God has you to be. And number six. This one we could take months to take a look at. Why please God? I'll tell you why. Because we can see the problem of selfishness all throughout the society in which we live. If there is no other reason that you're going to grasp this today, then all you've got to do is take a look at the world in which you live and realize the horror, the terror of selfishness in the world we live. Why does a guy move into another country? Why does Iraq attack Kuwait? Because of the selfishness of an individual who wants more. That's why. Why does someone get killed by a drunk driver? Because of the selfishness of a person who decides they want to drink and then get in the car because it's their right to be able to drive whenever they want. Because of the selfishness of man. Why does another person kill another person? Why does a person rape another person? Why does a person steal from another person, rob another person? Why is there incest? Why is there child molestation? Why is there murder, divorce? Why is there uh, child abuse? Why is all this happening? Because of the selfish sin nature of man that says, you know what, I'm going to please myself at the expense of everybody that lives around me in the society in which we live. Man, I'll tell you what, if that's not a reason to start living to please God, nothing is. Because we have a mess on our hands 
that is a result of a philosophy that says, please yourself. How to hold a marriage together? Oh, stop and think about it. You know how, buddy? Live to please your wife and not yourself. Live to please your husband and not yourself. Man, that's not hard. It's not hard. Not hard to, to understand. It's just hard to do. Because we're selfish people. The problem with selfishness. It's amazing to me. Tom gave me this. I, I like this. It, it has to do with, you know, it's like, I mean, why alcohol addiction? Why drug addiction? When it comes right down to it, it's just a matter of selfishness when you get right down to it. Someone who wants to enjoy something at the expense of everybody in their world. And I like what one man wrote. He says, you know what? Here's why he drank. And I don't know what your habit is or I don't know what it is that's hidden in a little corner of your house that you live in that's not pleasing to God. But if this applies or if this makes some sense to you, then listen to it very carefully. He says, you know what? I drank for happiness and I became unhappy. I drank for joy and I became miserable. I drank for sociability and I became argumentative. I drank for sophistication and became obnoxious. I drank for friendship and I made enemies. I drank for sleep and woke up tired. I drank for strength and felt weak. I drank for relaxation and I got the shakes. I drank for courage and became afraid. I drank for confidence and became doubtful. I drank to make conversation easier and slurred my speech. I drank to feel heavenly and ended up feeling like hell. The philosophy of the world. Please yourself. And you know what? And you'll feel like hell. For the mind set, Romans 8, 6 through 8, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. A self-centered, selfish life is hostile to God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is, it, it, it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let me allow me for a moment to leave this in the context in which it was found. And that is very simple, simply this. What must a man or woman do to be pleasing to God? There is nothing that you can do until you take this first step. And that first step is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that will please God any greater than coming to a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The crowd came to Jesus and said, Hey, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus in John 6 said, Very simply this, You must believe upon Him in whom He has sent. You must believe in Me. The only thing that will ever be pleasing to God in your life is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Everything that you do after that point is a reflection of the value you place on what Jesus did on the cross for you. It is a reflection of understanding what eternal life is really worth. Why do I want to please God? Hey, because it is a reflection of my understanding of what God did for me through Jesus Christ. That is my primary reason to please God. And the rest of it, we just build upon it. The Bible says, why should we please God? It's the purpose of creation. That's why we're here. 
It's the position of our Creator. He's an authority over us, and as a result, we should want to please Him in everything that we do. It has to do with the person of Jesus Christ, whose life was not self-centered, but was centered in the lives of others. He came to seek and to save, to serve and to give. The greatest example that He ever gave us. We see it in the life of, of the Apostle Paul and the persecution that he went through. He was a bondservant. He went through what he did because he was there to please God and not please men, or he never would have went through all that he did. It was in the prospect of judgment that one day each one of us are going to give an account before the throne of Jesus Christ. And then the last thing has to do with the obvious, and that is the problem of selfishness that we see in the world in which we live. As I was wrestling with a theme verse kind of for the series that we're going through, there was one that just really stands out, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 10. It's verse 31. And it just says, Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all. Everything, always, do it all to the glory of God. One Confederate soldier said it best when he wrote these words. He said, I asked God for strength, you know, and living a life that's pleasing to God is a paradox because it's different than anything that you're being told in the world we live in. And it doesn't make any sense at all. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It's not even the same. We're not even the same ball game together with Him. And He's just saying, you just trust me and you do things my way and I'll guarantee you'll get the results you're looking for. But you keep doing things the way the world tells you and you're just going to end up like that guy. You're just going to end up feeling like hell. And He says, I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I ask for, but everything that I hope for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all men, most richly blessed. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father, I don't mind saying in the midst of everyone that's here and all that listen that... Um, I can tend to be pretty selfish myself. And I need a good dose of your word just to permeate every part of my being, just to flood my mind with your thoughts and your truth because I'm inundated in the world we live in that gears itself to teaching me and telling me that I'm here to please myself. God, and with the free will that you've given me, I ask that you just remove those teachings and that thought from my life and I could just come to grasp your truth and your word that says that we are here primarily to please you. The greatest commandment that you gave us is that we are to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. And then you tell us that we're to love others as ourselves. You very, very clearly teach that we are here to please you and that we are here to please those who live around us for the purpose of building them up and encouraging him to either come to know you in a personal way or to continue to grow in their walk with you. God, I just pray that you help me understand my selfish ways, that you'll show me your truth, and I can continue to be sensitive to apply those things which are pleasing to you. 
And it's my prayer for all of us that in everything that we do, always, in everything, no matter what it is, that we do all to Your glory and to Your praise. And it's in Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.